0: Luke chapter number 12. We're going to start there tonight. Now we have been sharing out of 2 Peter chapter number 1. And what I, I guess I don't want to miss the point of why we've been sharing from here. The point is to teach you how to step into harvest. The kingdom is the harvest. The kingdom is where that 100-fold release we're believing for, it all exists right there in the kingdom. But we have to learn to step into it. Everybody say that with me, step into it. Has anybody got some chalk? Step into it. Say it again, step into it. So he said, I'm going to, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, I'm going to provide you with an entrance. I'm going to create a door. But it's your responsibility to step into it. So much of the time we ask and we believe. We sow seed and then nothing happens in our life. And we look at God like it didn't work for us. And the problem is God said, listen, I provided everything. In fact is I've created an entrance through my seed I created entrance, the veil was torn, no more separation. Now you can step into the holy of holies, but you have to make that step. Look at me. You're responsible for that. Not God. How many harvests has He sent your way that have rotted on the vine? Because you didn't understand how to stick in the sickle and wheat, reap. I you, you have to reap your harvest. No farmer ever sows a seed and then thinks it's over. Talk to me. Hey Amen. He's as excited or more about harvest time as he is about the, the possibility he creates by sowing the seed. Man, when the, I used to live in, uh, in Ohio, and uh, I used to live in a house, and right next to it was a cornfield and i 'm telling you when the corn got ripe, man, them big combines would race through there and reap that corn and uh, you, you know you wouldn't even know they were used in the middle of the country, you thought until that corn came down. But I, it, it was amazing to me. They, they didn't let it stand too long. They didn't let it stand past that ripening season. The minute it was ready, they stuck in the sickle. And because harvest is where it's at. I want to harvest. Now, I know every harvest begins with a seed. But when I've planted my seed, when I've been faithful to sow, when I got seed in the ground, now it becomes harvest time and I have to learn I got to learn how to step into the harvest through the entrance he said I'm going to open for you an entrance into the kingdom of God everything you need is in there everything you're desiring is in there everything all the fulfillment that you are could possibly hope for is in the kingdom but you have to learn to step into it Jesus preached about it. John the Baptist preached about it. The gospel of the kingdom. Now I love this scripture in in uh, Luke chapter twelve. Are you there? Luke chapter twelve, verse number thirty-two. Let me just start here. I love this scripture. This is Jesus, and he says, "Fear not, little flock." Now, let me just start here. Fear will keep you from reaping your harvest. Yes. Why? Because fear is faith's opposite, fear is faith's greatest opponent. You cannot step into your 100-fold harvest when you live. With a spirit of fear. Now we talked about this last week. He calls us little flock. So he is our shepherd. Right? He's talking t- truly in the spirit of a father. How, how can... Why? Pastor, you say, why can I live without fear? Let's, let's talk about it in process. First of all, because he is your father. All oh, Hallelujah. Yes. Why would you live in fear when he is your father? You have a father. Well, yeah, I may not have a, a relationship with my earthly father, and my earthly father may have never done me anything, but harm but you have now a heavenly father and i'm going to get to this in just a minute until you grasp this understanding until you sit down in that revelation until that revelation dispels the fear in your life you'll never step into the kingdom it starts here fear not little flock so he's saying fear not because i got you I'm your shepherd. I'm your father. Fear not. Now why do we not have to fear? First of all, because a real father has a plan. Real fathers have a plan. This is a characteristic of fathers. The Bible says you've got a lot of teachers. But the problem is you've got few fathers. Fathers have... A plan. Your heavenly, uh, can I just teach right here for a minute and tell you your God has a plan for your life? Yes, he does. I want to talk to you. I said your God has a plan for your life. You're not wandering around. You're not wandering through life. God has a plan for your life. He said, I know the thoughts that I think about you. The thoughts of peace, shalom, nothing broken, nothing missing, and not of evil. And I'm, I've got a plan to bring you to an expected end i got a plan for you. Now, it's important that you and I learn to walk out His plan. Now, understand, His plan and your plan may be different. And you have have the right, because He gave you the power, the incredible power of choice, you have the right to choose to do it your way. You have the right to choose to excuse things and make excuse because of what you want. You'll make concessions of, on his plan to get what you want. You have a plan. And if you're not careful, the Bible says many are the plans of man. Man makes a lot of plans. We, we, we have our own vision. And until that vision lines up with what God sees for us, Right? Our plan leads to destruction. Are you with me? How many of you know you tried it your way and it didn't work out great? Talk to me. I Listen, I, t- I try to do it my way and I'm, I made a huge mess of it. God has a plan, right? And he's not making that up as you go. He's not going to decide tomorrow what happens to you. That's right. Oh, he already, listen, from the foundations of the earth, yes. his plans were laid. Amen. He knows the plan that he has for you. Now it's important that we submit. Everybody say submit. submit. Submission is hard for humans. We want to wear the crown when we were made to serve. Amen. Come on. And so we choose our way over God's way. And when we get outside of His plan, it's amazing to me because inside God's plan, we are blessed and favored. And so I've watched so many people, they get blessed and favored inside God's plan. And then all of a sudden go to making decisions on their own. Thinking that the same blessing and favor is going to follow them making their own choices. Come on. Not so. That's right. Everybody say, God has, a plan. God has a plan. Now, that is a plan of provision. Everybody say, provision. 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 I went through this last week. Do you, you guys you remember this or not? Some of you are acting like this is the first time you've heard this. Okay. Provision. Everybody say provision. Provision Provision is important. We all, everyone, it's, it's a natural thing for us to want to do better. You you agree? It's a natural thing for us to want to do. As long as we understand why God wants us to do better, we stay where we ought to be. Amen. But God is a provider. He said, "I'm." I listen. You earthly fathers think you know how to give the best gifts to your kids. Are you kidding me? I'm God the Father. I'm going to take care of you. If I clothe the flowers in the field, if I take care of the birds, believe you me, I'm watching over you. And I'm going to provide for you. Understand, when you are in the plan of God, His provision follows. I'm going to say that again. When you are in the plan of God, His provision follows. Amen. You and I, the blessed people of God, don't have to chase money. Come on. Money chases us. I that. Yes. Well, some of you. But you gotta get through the door. Because when you step into the kingdom, you don't have to chase money. Money chases you. Right. Amen. Amen. That's I love I love the symbolism. John the Baptist came and he said, Repent. What does that mean? Turn around. Because what you've been chasing is at, oh hallelujah, say it's at hand. John the Baptist said, turn around because what you've been chasing is chasing you. The kingdom is at hand. So many times we try to run for stuff, try to make stuff happen. That when we step into the kingdom, just happens naturally as a point of our being the favored of God. But if you don't believe that you're favored, right, if you don't don't believe that because you carry condemnation, I'm going to get there in just a minute. You carry a weight of condemnation. You can't step through the door with condemnation. You can't step into it until you rightly discern that He is your Father and that because of that, you are a son or a daughter of God. That ought to do something for the way you walk around and the way you conduct your life. Yes. Right? He's, he's a father. Fear not, little flock. Boy, this right here make a good sermon. Because you got a father who has a plan, and it's a plan of provision. And then lastly, it is a plan of protection. Hallelujah. The only thing that gets to you, gets to you under his watchful eye. And it wouldn't get to you unless he knew that you were prepared to carry whatever it was. Because if, it, if that's not so, then he's, his word is a lie. Because his promise was, I'll never put more on you than you can bear. So if it's there, it must mean I was prepared for it. I fought the lion, which prepared me for the bear, which prepared me for Goliath, which prepared me to sit on the throne and rule. But there is a process. But understand that He is my protector. I, I mean, we don't—you don't have to fight. You don't have to fight uh, by yourself or feel like you're alone in the fight of your life. Amen. He is your protector. Amen. He's a shield. David said, "He's, Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. You are invisible force field about my life. We gripe about the stuff that that gets to us, and we're we never." Understand the stuff He kept away from us. Amen. Whatever one thing got in, a hundred things were kept outside because of His protective hand. You are protected by God. Say amen. Amen. Protected. I have a father. Fear not, little flock. Watch this. For it is your father's Good pleasure. You know what? In just my hillbilly terms, that just means it makes your daddy happy. (laughs) To give you the kingdom. (laughs) Ha ha. Woo, I like it. It is your father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Now... If we're going to step into the kingdom, we're going to have to follow the example or the pattern that was established by Christ. Now watch this. Christ was the original pattern. He exhibited those essential features and design of everyone that would follow. All of the sons of God should be equipped with the pattern of the original prototype. Christ was that prototype. He was made in the image of God. He stood in the space of God. He moved like God because indeed He was God. Christ. But He wasn't the only Son. Greg, you're a son. Oh, hallelujah. And you've got to begin to be molded into the same image of that prototype. Because if you do, then what he did, you'll do. And greater things. What the way he spoke and the way he moved. Isn't that the plan? Okay, I'm going to get you there. So it's vital for you and I to understand who God designed for us to be. Who? Did God design me to be? What has He designed me to do? And what is the purpose for which I was designed? When you were born again, the divine DNA was passed on to each one of you. The divine DNA of God passed on. So we have to allow that divine DNA to permeate our whole lives. Now we get in the way of that. What? The old flesh gets to sticking through. The old appetites for the world gets to prevailing. Our old mindsets begin and patterns of life begin to take over if we're not careful. We have to allow that divine DNA to permeate the whole of our life. Amen. The purpose of Christ beyond redemption was to show us how we can live. How we can live. He said, this is how you can do it. If you allow the divine DNA to take over. Now, turn to Psalms chapter 8. Psalms, let's just go over there. Psalms 8. Look at verse um, number... Look at, we'll do three and four. David says, when I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what is man? Now, David was trying to identify the who question. Who am I? We talk about this a lot. I just feel it's so vital. I think people sit in church for, for lifetimes, but they never come into the full understanding of who it was God created them to be. And when, they, when you don't know who God created you to be, it's impossible for you to know what God created you to do. Because who has to come before what? Amen. David says, who, who is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I? This is a question that before we can step into the kingdom, can you imagine the high, high priest? I'm talking about the high, high of the high, the high one, the one, the, oh, there's only one, the high priest. There was a lot of priests. There was a high priest. He must have you know, had some swag and some confidence. You know what I'm talking about? This was the, the guy. Like, you know, you all may be able to serve out here. Some of y'all can serve in here, but only me gets to go beyond the veil. That's a lot of swag. That right? confidence. When you find out who you are, that confidence follows. You're not, you're not playing second fiddle. You're not trying to live somebody else's life. You don't have to walk out somebody else's plan. God drew one for you. And He has invested so much in who He desires you to become. Who am I? Who am I? This is something we have to deal with. And most often we we turn this question to why or to where or to when. Because we try to define who in those ways. And if we're not careful, those cloud the real revelation that unlocks who we really are. Who we are and who we're becoming are two points that are necessary to establish that mapping process that determines our progress. And progress is important. I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to church over and over again be the same pastor I was last month, last year, four years ago. We have to be Making progress. Any of you feel like that, you're, that God is doing some stuff in you and you are moving forward in Him? Don't you think that's vital? I, I don't know what people do. They, you know, they just come to church, but that's, that's the thing. That's the, you know, that's the apex of their, their Christian experience is going to church. Man, that's boring. I don't care how good a church it is. I, I want to feel like I'm making progress. Amen. And you know what? I believe that it is the will and plan of God for you to go forward, for you to make progress, for you to move from glory to glory by his word. That is revealing. Shining the light on our lives. That gives us an opportunity to repent and turn. Hallelujah. That's the only way you move forward. Who am I? So vital for me to begin to deal with this. Identity. Just an integral part of us accomplishing our purpose. And a lot of folks struggle with this. And it's a difficult deal. It's really tough. Men and women go through different seasons of their life and here's what they're dealing with. I just, you know what? I know there's something. I know I should be more. I should be experiencing more. There should be more fulfillment in my life, but there's not. And then what we do is we start making dumb decisions about how to try and accomplish that fulfillment. These guys, they get to be, you know, 45 or so. They've been married for 20 years and all of a sudden they don't want to be married anymore because they don't love their wife. You know, what, your, your wife's not the problem. Come on. You are the problem. You don't know who you are. Uh-huh. Come on. Because if you knew who you were and the value of who you were, you would never disgrace yourself and your family in that fashion. That's right. Ever. Ever. And and that's just an example. But you just spread it like peanut butter. There's a whole lot of that to go around. Amen. Amen. All of us are guilty of a little bit of stupid in different areas of our lives. Trying to figure out where we fit and who we are. You can be honest. It's one of the best places to be honest in the church. Who... Who am I? Who am I? You know, get, you know, get a gal, she gets in her 40s, and all of a sudden she has to dress like she's 18. What's the matter with you? Well, the problem is I don't know who I am. And because I don't, I'm trying to find value and affirmation in places that I don't have any business trying to find it. Well, that's good, isn't it? Yes, it is. Amen. Well, don't kill the messenger. Who am I? Who am I? Identity. Identity is, is really the distinguishing character or personality of an individual. The distinguishing character or personality of an individual. I love the story, and you know it well, in Mark chapter 5. Jesus approaches the demoniac. He's been in the tombs. He's possessed by devils. He's cutting himself. He's causing himself harm. Do you understand that that is the complete definition of sin? You're just doing yourself harm. You you can paint it in a lot of pictures. But when when you allow your flesh to open the door to that spirit, all it does is hurt you. So here he is. He's cutting himself. Now watch this. The first question that Jesus asks him is this. What... Is your name. Who are you? Now, you know the voice that speaks out of him says this. My name is Legion. For we are... Now this is what happens to us in life. Instead of being that which God has called us to do, we become many. We get lost in the lives that we lead, and we become many. Amen. And then we start projecting the identity of something we wish to become rather than what we are at the present. And of course, social media gives us the perfect platform to do that. I want to say all the time, that's not you. I get irritated every time. I just, I just anymore. I don't even look. I go in and post my stuff, and I'm off. That's not you. Come on, Amen. And it's and it's we manipulate our identities to suit the differing expectations that we have at home, at work, at school. And what we become is many. One person here, one person there to fit in the different places we feel pressure to fit in. You can't step into the kingdom when you are many. And so this question that Christ asked is frightening in a world that's given over to so many voices and so many images and so many sounds and so many identities. And we get lost in it. We get lost in it all. And we become many. In those four simple words, what is your name? Everything about this man's life was called into question. Who are you? Can you imagine what that must have felt like? To be standing there in the midst of your sin and have Jesus look at you and say, listen, he could ask a million questions. Or he didn't have to ask any at all. But he said these words, what? Is your name. Who are, who are you? Do you ever, you ever know people that you'd like to just shake them and say. <laughs> who are you? Because the person I know. Wouldn't do that. Wouldn't act like that. Wouldn't say that. Wouldn't go there. Who are you? What is your name? Boy so profound. Simple Jesus. Who are you? If it's impossible, if it's possible for one person to transcend the madness and become something other than he or she once was. If that's possible for one, the shout, the praise is it's possible for everybody. Think of it. If one could transcend who he was or where he came from or the difficulties he came out of. Boy, it makes it good news for the rest of us. Because if one can, everybody can. And that means that the future is not just the pipe dream. It means the future is upon us. It's now. We don't know this man's real name. We never find it out what his real name was. But we do know it wasn't Legion. And what Jesus wanted to confirm with this man was that who he was identifying as? Was not who he was. This, this is not you. This is not who you are. And I'm, just think on this how important this simple thing has to be in our spiritual lives. Pastor, I want to step into the fullness. You got to know who you are first. I want to step into the kingdom you got to figure this out. Who am I? Who am I? Amen. In the middle of that self-destructive behavior, the power of God broke through and reestablished His real identity. Beautiful. When, we, when the many voices of our lives cloud our hearts to the fact that we are His beloved sons and His daughters, we find ourselves in a place of death and self-destruction. Amen. He is my Father. You know what? When I was a kid, there was a lot of things I didn't do, places I didn't go, and people I didn't hang out with. Not because I didn't want to, but because I had a dad. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And of all the things, I never wanted to see my dad look at me disappointed. You know what? It kept me out of a lot of situations. Not every one of them. My flesh overrode that for a couple of years. But I can tell you early on in my life, I was, I, it, I, was, I was a little bit afraid of him, to be honest with you. He would put his hands on you in a heartbeat. And, and, but I, I never wanted to disappoint him. You got a daddy. And he can see all of it. And you know what's beautiful is he loves us in spite of it all. Not because of it. I I, I have finally come to the place in my life. God doesn't love me because of anything I do. He loves me in spite of it all. (laughs) In spite of myself. He loves me. Daddy God. Plan. Protection. Provision. It is your father's good pleasure. Give you the kingdom. But you first have to figure this out. Who am I? Amen. Write this down. Who is never defined by what. What you do or what you have done does not define who you are. When your life becomes defined by what, what you've done or what you do, you're losing sight of who you were created to be. Amen. The fact that Jesus... Could do extraordinary things. That he could work miracles. It's not what made him special. It's not what made him special. What set Jesus apart. Was the deep understanding. And the trust that he had. That he was loved. By his father. Woo! Now listen. There are good earthly daddies. And there are not good earthly daddies. And I don't know which one you've, you've had what your experience is. And sometimes our experience with our earthly daddy can carry into the way we experience our heavenly daddy. And I'm going to tell you this, you got to be very careful. I've taught extensively on how to properly vision God, how I see the Father. But you better make sure you vision him correctly. Jesus was special not because He could walk on water. He was special because He understood how beloved He was by His Father. Isn't that beautiful? He was so certain of who He was and where He was going that He became a threat to the enterprise of Satan. He didn't need the affirmation of other people. He didn't, he didn't need their affirmation to know His true identity. I. I listen. I appreciate the fact all of us like to be liked, right? We want to be affirmed by one another, right? I I want you to like me. I think that's a a natural part of our humanity. I want to be affirmed and rewarded, right? I I want to to feel a sense of accomplishment uh, based on the way you respond. But if we're not careful, we become captured by those needs. Instead of finding all of those things in our relationship with our daddy. If nobody else tells me I'm beautiful, he tells me. If nobody else tells me, hallelujah, that they love me. He loves me. This was the way Jesus walked around. This was the reason he stood in such complete authority. Why? Because he knew daddy loved him. He knew it. Beyond all shadow of a doubt. Gary, he knew he was loved by his father. And for a young man who has had this, you've you've dealt with this problem. A feeling of, feeling the sense of loved. You had a good family, I'm not saying that. But my value. Where's my value? And so what do we do? When we do not feel valued, we try to... We try to fill those voids in our life with things that are unhealthy. We run back to the weaknesses of our flesh to cover and hide. Oh, I'm about to get there. And I got some time. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Who He was was completely defined by the revelation He had that He was loved by His Father. The reason Jesus was a threat was because He was loved by God and He knew it. The ultimate goal of everything Jesus did was for more than for us to believe certain things about Him. It was so that you and I could work through the process of being like Him. Do you get that? He didn't just want us to believe certain things about Him. He wanted us to understand that you and I could become like Him in every way. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. You got your Bible quickly? Believing in Christ has a whole lot to do with believing like Christ. Can I say that again? You need to write this down. This needs to be something you muse over. Write this down. Believing in Christ has a whole lot to do with believing like Christ. You have to believe like Jesus. You have to believe what God says about you. You have to believe like Him if you're going to be like Him. Matthew chapter 3 verse 17. Can you put that up brother Matt? Or who's back there? The blank Mishirea. can you put up Matthew 3.17? This is the defining moment of Christ's ministry. He had for 30 years walked in obscurity, mm-hmm. nothing from the time he's what elder 12 years old until now 18 years. Of obscurity nothing is written about his life nothing is written about his journey about his relationships his exploits nothing but everything is about to be jump-started in a single moment he is about to walk on water he's about To split five loaves and three fishes. He's about to heal blinded eyes. He's about to preach the sermon on the mount. Oh, talk to me somebody. He is about to turn the world upside down. And here's how all of that jump starts. He's baptized by John the Baptist. He goes down, he comes up. And lo, a voice from heaven said, This is... Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Let me tell you something. That was enough to kick start the ministry that would change the world. Here's all His Father said. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. When he walked out of that water, he didn't need anybody else to affirm him. He didn't need anybody else to like him. He didn't need the rewards of the world. Here is what he knew. My daddy loves me. Amen. This is my son. In whom I'm well pleased. These are the most important words he'd ever hear. They would define his life and ministry. And you got to understand, these were spoken before... The oppressed and the diseased were healed. They were spoken before the beloved profound Sermon on the Mount. They were spoken before He had walked on water. All of these things were about to commence. And they commenced with these words. This is my son. These are the words that would keep him when his body was shutting down after 40 days in the wilderness. These are the words that would keep his mouth shut and his heart resolute when they were ripping flesh from his body. Oh, I'm talking about when you're walking through hard times, you can walk through them because you know, oh, my daddy loves me. When he was wounded, how did he deal? How did he cope? My father loves me. Amen. And these were not the words of a father that was celebrating the acts of his son. I, I want you to think of that. Jesus had been in absolute obscurity. I, I would think, this is just me, but if he had done great things before this moment, somebody would have wrote him down. Right. This man, Jesus, the God-man, was working through the process. Coming of age. Preparing himself. For this moment. God was not celebrating the great acts of His Son. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. It wasn't His great acts that delighted His Father. It was His existence. It is you. Not what. Who. That I'm in love with. I'm in love with you, my Son. Jesus would always remember, he would make every decision of his life based on the truth of those words, You are my beloved Son. Jesus never forgot who he was, and so he never for a moment stepped outside of his realm of authority. The voice of the Father was rich in affirmation and in acceptance. And the significance and the mission of Jesus' life had never been more pronounced than in this moment. This is my Son. Amen. He was the beloved Son. And I love this, the way the Bible reads this. In whom. He says, in whom God was well pleased. He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Not by whom. If we're not careful, we become servants that think that we please God by what we do. I'm not pleased by what you do. What you do is going to be an outcropping of who you are in me. You come to the realization of your true identity in Christ. You will begin to move in the ways of Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus walking on water was just a result of this revelation. That he was loved by his Father. He didn't have to do it for God to love him. He did it because he knew God loved him. That's powerful. Amen. Now watch this. Let me quit. I'll I'll stop with this. Fully stepping into the kingdom. It's important to watch that timeline of, of the ministry of Christ. If it's been a long time since you read through, fully read through the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Take some time and slowly. It's not a race. I love some of the way you guys read the Bible. I, I read 28 chapters today. What about? Um, you're not, you're, you listen, you're not flipping an egg counter. It's, what, you're not, well, it's not a race. Get it in here. But read through that. So that you understand, because watch this. The moment this voice spoke, you know where Jesus' next step was? Into the wilderness. 40 days and 40 nights. If you're going to step fully into the kingdom, this identity situation has got to be, it truly has to begin to take shape in your life. But you're also going to have to survive those wilderness moments. You're going to have to overcome and endure those wilderness seasons in your life. Immediately after hearing these words, Jesus spent time in the wilderness. And the Bible says that it was the Spirit that led Him there. Can you imagine the Spirit leading you into a wilderness situation? How dare you? I'm looking for blessing. Maybe your greatest blessing is hidden in your submission to that experience. Immediately, he went into the wilderness. The notion in our lives, especially in this day, of obscurity seems like a curse. And would be likened, so many of us, it would be likened to God being unhappy with us. God must be unhappy with me. I'm going through this difficulty in in, in my life. But God draws us into obscurity, not because He's unhappy with us, but because He wants to go deeper in His relationship with you and I. And sometimes He's got to get you all alone to do that. Sometimes he's got to move you all by yourself. Some of you know what this season feels like. It's been tough and I hadn't understood all, I haven't understood all of it, but I know this. I have learned some things about him that I never would have learned.